Getting to one and a half, two mince pies is a little bit underwhelming, but we'll have to take what we can. Next year, you guys, get in training. 2020, the mince pie eating competition will be amazing. Um, but this time of year, around Christmas, in the church calendar, is known as Advent. And that word Advent really means arrival or coming. And I think probably a lot of us know that word because of Advent calendars. So my wife, Michelle, has always demanded an Advent calendar before the 1st of December. And last year, I messed up. I didn't get her one. So this year, I needed to. And when that Advent calendar arrived, sadly, it had some kind of weird chocolate fungus or mold. So it went back to Woolworths, shame on Woolworths, and there was no replacement. So it's been a really tough Christmas for Shell. But something you might not know about Advent, if you think, okay, cool, Christmas is Advent time, is that actually for Christians, we have two great Advents that we celebrate. The first is the one that happened 2,000 years ago that we're celebrating today, the birth of Jesus, Jesus arriving or coming into this world. But the second one is when Jesus comes again, when Jesus doesn't come as a baby, but as a king, and he comes to bring his kingdom, to bring peace and justice and righteousness, and he comes to make all things new and establish his rule and reign in this world. So at Christmas time, we're not just looking back and celebrating the initial one, we're celebrating both his first arrival and his second too. But speaking of baby arrivals, I think this church knows a little bit about that. We've had quite a few babies enter into this church this year, and next year we've got quite a few due too, which is very, very exciting. And you might have seen on social media that this has become a really big deal. The way you announce your babies, firstly, I guess, the fact that you're pregnant, and then all of the other steps along the journey. So I thought I'd show you a few of these pictures. This is one of the classics. Eh? Some of you might have done this if you had babies a couple of years ago. You've got a beautiful kind of board. Oh, if you did that this year, I'm so sorry. I'm shaming you in front of the whole church. Beautiful board, beautiful words, the little shoes, the little photo. It's really, really beautiful. What about this classic? These are the shoes, the, the dad shoes, mom shoes, and baby shoes. Very, very cute, huh? Might have seen some options where dad is wearing like hiking boots with some mud on the leather just to show he's really masculine. And mom's got high heels just showing that she's like feminine, but she's strong. And then you've got the cute little baby booties there at the end. What about the next one, Ayanda? This one is one of my favorites. It's the devastated older sibling, you know? Cannot believe there's another child joining this family. I actually saw one this morning while I was looking, and there was a, a little boy trapped in his kind of cot, and it said basically being evicted uh, April 2020. He was devastated, weeping. And the final one that I wanted to show you, just because I think it's so cute, Little bun in the oven, you know? <laughs> so if you're looking for a way to announce, you can find it. If you've been on Pinterest, <laughs> it is a little bit weird, hey? I see some of you more horrified than thinking it's cute. <laughs> I thought it was really amazing. <laughs> we'll do that for the next one, Snoops. But anyway, if you've been on Pinterest, you've probably seen a ton of these, but these are some of the ways you can announce your baby's arrival. The other thing that people have really gotten into is gender reveals. So this is something you might have seen. The guy, the guy, he gives mom and dad like an envelope with the gender of the baby inside. You hand it to a friend or family member and they make a cake or they get some balloon with like different colored confetti or whatever it is. You cut the cake and you find out, are you having a boy or a girl in front of all of your friends? Can you put up the next one? This is a really cute one of like a pink powder exploding in the background. I saw a video a while ago, which was amazing. It was um, a family that had actually decided they were going to do a baseball. So the friend or family member had made a baseball with this colored powder inside, and their friend threw it towards the dad, and the dad had the baseball bat, and he took a swing, and he missed, 
and the ball hit the friend on the head and really, really hurt him. He was in agony, like kind of leant over as this blue powder like puffed into the air. And the dad turns and sees it. He's like so excited. The friend is in agony. Very, very good moments. And today what we're going to do is really talk about the Bible's version of the announcement of Jesus' birth. So we're going to be reading out of Isaiah chapter 9. It's a really, really amazing passage and also a very unique baby announcement as we're about to see. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Isaiah 9 verse 1. Otherwise, it'll come up on the screen just behind me. And this is what the passage about Jesus' birth says. But there will be no gloom. Byron, should I change to the handheld? We're all good, okay. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he made glorious the way of the sea the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and a government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's kind of an amazing passage because you've got this pregnancy announcement, to us a child is born, and you've also got this gender reveal, to us a son is given. And this is speaking to us about Jesus' birth. But like I said, this is unlike any baby announcement in the history of the world. Let me tell you a few reasons why. The first is this announcement is made really, really early. Isaiah the prophet is making this baby announcement 700 years before Jesus would be born. Bit of an eager beaver, you know? He's kind of put this on social media, baby Messiah coming 2720. And everyone's like, whoa, that's, that's a little bit ahead of time. We're seven centuries ahead of this birth. But this is a big deal. And we read the way he words it, because I found this interesting. Like he uses past and present tense when he talks about this event that's coming long, long in the future. He says the child is here, the child is born. And this was a Hebrew literary um, device. They would use this to help you to know how sure they were that this was going to happen. It's basically like he's saying, this is a sure thing. Now we've got this idiom in the English language where we say, it's money in the bank. It's like, you can bet on this. I know it hasn't happened yet, but it's a guarantee. This thing is definitely going to happen. What he's saying here is the opposite of don't count your chickens before they hatch. He's saying you can count on them. They're definitely going to hatch. This is a sure thing. Jesus is coming. And the prophets would speak this way to show that the word they had from God was concrete and sure. You could know that this prophetic word was going to come to pass. And Isaiah is speaking this word to the people of Israel at a time when they're going through a really rough, dark, difficult time. They are kind of under threat from the Assyrian nation, which actually would come in and wage war on them and would take over the whole northern kingdom of Israel and take a whole lot of the Jewish people away into slavery as prisoners. And he's writing to them at that time to speak to them a message of hope. Hope in darkness. 
hope in a moment of fear, hope that even though they weren't sure what the future held, that actually God was going to provide for them, that God was going to send a king, that God was going to send this baby, who was going to both bring help to them, personal salvation, and ultimately, if you read this passage, world peace, which is kind of a big deal. The second thing that makes this very unique is this is an announcement about a royal birth. Now, this year was kind of a big deal for the British royals, you know, the very recent scandal, which I'm not going to get into today, but there was also the crown that came up recently. I'm sure a lot of you watched that on Netflix or something. Really amazing show about the history of the royal family. And then uh, Harry and Meghan had their first child in May of this year. Anyone know the name of the baby? Archie, you've got to give me the full name. You can't just give me a little taster. Archie, Harrison, very good. Hannah in the back with the win. Archie Harrison Mountbatten Windsor. So this was a really big deal. This was world news. And as Isaiah is speaking about this baby that would be born, he's saying this is a royal baby. Like it might not come from a royal family, but this child that is going to be born is going to be a king. He's going to reign and rule on the throne of David. And he speaks about the kind of rule he's going to have. And he says, the government shall be on his shoulder, and of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. This baby who is going to rule is going to bring peace to our world like no king in the history of the world has been able to do before. From the day that he is born, ongoingly, the peace of God will rule and reign and increase over the whole world. Kind of a big deal. The third one that he says that makes this a very unique announcement is he announces the name of the baby. And this baby has got four names, each telling us what this child will do. So Shell and I, if you don't know this, are about six and a half months pregnant. We've got about two and a half months to go. So we're in the throes of baby naming study. So we've got books. We've been reading and researching and Googling lists and trying to decide what we're going to call our daughter. And it's been fun. We've got a short list. We're not set in stone on anything. But it's also hard because you realize this is going to be a name that this child carries with it for life. Like in some ways, a name's not a big deal. In other ways, this is an identifier that this child will always have. Everyone will always call this child by this thing. And when Isaiah announces the birth of Jesus, he comes with these four names. He says that this king, this child, shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Those are his four names. And it's kind of an interesting thing because... Um, those are kind of serious names. <laughs> like those are all really, really significant in terms of who this child is going to be. Like if you had a friend who named their child Mighty God, you'd be like, wow, you are out of your mind. <laughs> what is going on? So you might think Isaiah is one of those parents who really assumes that their child is a little bit greater than they're going to be, or this Messiah, this child who is coming, is more of a big deal than he is. But he's not. The prophet is speaking about this truth. I want to show you one last picture. And if you can put up this ultrasound, this is... Um, Shalana's baby. So if it comes up, this is the first pic we got when we went and saw the Ghani. And I was like besotted with this child as soon as I saw this. You know, we're like crying in there. It's like this black and white image. It's not that impressive. But I looked at this and I'm like, look at our daughter. She's incredible. Look at how upright she's standing. Like, I've never seen a baby do that. Normally they're like hunched over. Look at her posture. This child is, she's destined to be a leader of men and women. Like she's going to be an army general or something like that. And then I looked at her legs, and she just looks really athletic. She looks like she's going to be really tall. And I thought to Shell, like, neither of us are the tallest. This child is going to break the genetic curse that we're under. This child is going to be tall and athletic and win, like, gold medals. 
and lead people and just be an incredible person. I think we can almost read Isaiah's words there and think, oh, Isaiah, you're like one of those parents. You know, you look at this and you, I don't know, you think the world of your child before you've even met them. But the words, the names that he's giving to the baby Jesus are all true. But now imagine if you read this, like someone does their social media post and gives you the name of their child and they write and say, excellent piano player, marathon runner, future CEO of major corporation and good with languages. That would be ridiculous, you know? Birth announcements don't carry that kind of detail because we don't know the child yet. The child hasn't done anything yet. The child hasn't achieved or accomplished anything. They're just cooking. But here Isaiah speaks and says, this child will be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. This baby is different. And when Isaiah says that he will be a wonderful counselor, he's saying that this baby has got supernatural and divine wisdom which is so good, such good news for us, because if you're looking for guidance here today, Jesus is the one who can give you guidance and help you in your time of need or as you're trying to make decisions. Jesus is called Mighty God, and that should be good news for us, the fact that Jesus is divinely strong and powerful. If you're feeling weak, if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling in need of help, Jesus is the Mighty God who's able to help you in your time of need. He's called the Everlasting Father, which seems crazy for a baby to be called a father. But what he's saying of this Jesus is that he will care for you and protect you and look after you like a father does. And that's good news for those of us who need care, for those of us who've never known a father, that Jesus can be our everlasting, not short-term, everlasting Father. And finally, he's called the Prince of Peace. I don't know if you feel at peace at the moment, like personal inner peace, I don't know what your relationships are like. I know sometimes at Christmas there's weird family dynamics and friction and fighting going on. Maybe you don't feel like you're at peace with God, but the Prince of Peace, Jesus, is able to come and bring personal peace inside your soul and also peace into the relationships you've got with other people and between you and God. Kind of a big deal, this baby, eh? If Jesus really is a wonderful counselor like that, each one of us should be really happy to serve him. And I say that because that means he knows us better than anyone else. Like one, because of his divine revelation and insight and understanding. But secondly, because in Jesus, God came down. In Jesus, God took on flesh and blood and lived as a man on our earth and experienced the realities that you and I experience. And he knows the struggles and temptations and realities that you and I face. He's been through them. The Bible says he was tempted in every way, yet he didn't sin. Jesus knows your life. He can relate to your life. In fact, if you look at him, Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed by friends. He knows what it's like to be rejected by family. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer under oppression. I mean, he was killed on a cross. He knows what it's like to be poor, to be wrongfully accused. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows stress and hardship and struggle. Jesus knows emotional, physical, and spiritual suffering. And he's overcome it. And he's overcome it for you and I. So Jesus can be our Prince of Peace. He can be our wonderful counselor. He can be our everlasting Father. He can be our mighty God in the situations that we face. The final thing, and I've kind of given this away already, but you knew this stuff, is that Isaiah announces that this baby is God. Another crazy thing to say. Now some parents do treat their kids like they're gods. These little gods in their homes, they center their lives around them, they serve them, they worship them, they elevate them on this pedestal. I don't know, we could be doing that in a couple of months' time. 
But here Isaiah is prophesying and saying that God himself is coming down and humbling himself by taking on the body of a baby. Think of how dependent and helpless babies are. Babies are completely reliant on their parents for care and health and everything. And God, the king of the universe, would come down helplessly as a baby to serve you and I and to live and experience the fullness of human life. It's quite a thing. So Isaiah says, the baby is God. And then later on, 2,000 years down, or 2,700 years down the line, when Jesus is walking the earth, teaching, healing, performing miracles, casting out demons, caring for people, all of that, he says, you know what Isaiah said? You know what the other guys said? That's me. It's about me. I'm God. Follow me, worship me, serve me, live for me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if you struggle absorbing what Isaiah is saying about this baby who would be born, you're probably going to struggle even more with what Jesus is saying about himself because he claims to be God and the only way to God. It's a really radical and big thing because that big claim has big implications. And we see that throughout the New Testament again and again. Other people choose to worship and follow and serve Jesus and say, he is who he says he is. I believe it. I'm all in. Or they want to kill him. They want to stone him. They want to take him out because this is so horrific and blasphemous and shocking and jarring that a man would say this about himself and for each of us we need to decide who do we say this baby is you know is this baby really god or is this jesus lying or is he crazy deluded thinking that he's god or is this just a myth that's been passed on from century to century generation to generation what are we going to do with the story of christmas and the message of jesus Isaiah says to us, the baby is God. Probably the hardest thing to believe. The baby is God. And this is what Christmas is all about. Christmas is about the baby. Christmas is about the arrival or coming of God. Christmas is about salvation coming from heaven to earth. Christmas is about him. He's the center of it all. So to understand Christmas, really at its essence, is to understand Christianity. So Isaiah announces this pregnancy, this birth, this baby at a really tough time in the history of Israel. And it's good news. It's really exciting, you know, about what's going to happen. And the context of this passage that we've looked at and that maybe you've sung before or you've heard someone preach on before is actually found at the top of Isaiah 8, verse 22. It's the top of the chapter just before where it says, And they will look to the earth, but behold, the stress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Kind of sounds like a load-shedding headline, hey? <laughs> Thrust into deep darkness. Isaiah is writing and saying that the world is dark and that there's a lot of darkness in our world, which probably most of us in this room can agree with and buy into. But how is this world dark? Isaiah is writing at a time when this Assyrian superpower is kind of on the horizon, threatening the Israelites. They're worried about their future. And they're looking around saying, I don't know what the future holds. As they look at their city, they're full of uncertainty. As they look at their country, they're thinking, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen with the economy. We don't know what's going to happen with our kids. We don't know where we should send them to school. We don't know what our future holds. It's hard to make decisions. We don't know what our prospects are. All they could see was gloom and darkness and distress. And Isaiah speaks to these people, and he says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Hope. 
hope on the horizon. Hope that things could change. Hope that things aren't going to go badly. Hope that things are going to get better. He speaks of God's coming deliverance of joy and rejoicing that their nation will increase rather than shrink down. He speaks of harvests multiplying, which means economic prosperity and blessing. He speaks of an end to oppression and injustice and into war and violence. But we read that and we've got to say, who is going to do that? You know, that's what we all dream of. We dream of world peace. You know, we want things to be the way that they should be, not broken. We want things, nothing missing, nothing broken, the perfect shalom or peace of God. So as Isaiah makes this promise, the question we've got to ask is who? How? And he answers and says in verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah says the baby's going to do it, (laughs) which I think is pretty hard for us to imagine, you know? All of this stuff going on, all of these troubles in our world, all of these personal struggles that we might be dealing with, darkness, gloom, distress, the baby's going to sort it out. Don't worry, the baby is coming. That's what Isaiah says and fills the people with hope. But that is the message of Christmas, that into the darkness of our world, a baby is coming who will bring great light. The baby who is king, Christ the Lord. And Christmas is a really interesting celebration. I don't know if you've thought of this before, because there kind of are two Christmases going on in our world at at the same time, you know? It's the Christmas we're kind of singing about and talking about and reading about today. And it's kind of the more consumeristic, cultural kind of Christmas that's full of the greens and golds and whites and mince pies and crackers and reindeer and all of that stuff, you know? But the Christmas of the Bible is realistic about life. Because the Christmas of the Bible doesn't give in to the sentimentalism of shopping malls, you know? Everything's fine. Life is good. Don't worry at all. No, the Christmas of the Bible says there's some tough stuff in our lives, in our world. There's some tough stuff going on. But at the same time, the Christmas of the Bible isn't cynical like so much of our world. The Christmas of the Bible doesn't say the world is a mess and it's never going to be good and everything's bad. No, the Christmas of the Bible says there is hope, even in the darkness that we've spoken about. The Christmas of the Bible sees the brokenness of the world and of our lives, but it says there is hope. It's in the baby. The hope is in Jesus. And one of Jesus' followers and his best friend, a guy named John, wrote about Jesus after his life in this biography about his friend. And he said in John 1 verse 9, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. I read that I think maybe John had been reading Isaiah that morning, you know, reading Isaiah 9 and thinking about Jesus, the light that is dawning, to bring a new day. C.S. Lewis, for those of you who know him, is an amazing author. He wrote all the Narnia books, if you're a fan. He wrote some amazing kind of Christian philosophy. He wrote some sci-fi stuff, which I haven't gotten into. But he's an amazing thinker and writer. And he writes in his autobiography called Surprised by Joy that when he became a Christian, he'd been an atheist for years, he was the most dejected, reluctant convert in all of England. He didn't want to become a Christian. He didn't like Christianity. He didn't like this Jesus. He wasn't sold on this message. But eventually he came to say, this is the truth. And in his book, um, Mere Christianity, he says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun is risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. I'll read that again. 
I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun is risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. What he's saying is Jesus and his message make sense of the craziness of our world. Jesus and his message speak into the darkness and the gloom and the distress and the hard bits, even at a time like Christmas, and help us to understand what's really going on, because Jesus is the light of the world. And I think this means something for those of us in this room who are Christ followers or who call ourselves Christians. It means that we have no reason to be proud. We've got no reason to be self-righteous. And I think that's one of the things we do again and again and again. We mess up in this way. This is what the church is known for, for being proud and self-righteous and judgmental. But we've got no reason to be any of those things because we haven't done anything to deserve this stuff. You know, we haven't produced this light source. We haven't saved ourselves. We haven't solved any problems in this world. And we've just received this gift from heaven. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. We've received the gift of this light. And for Christians, all we can say today is we are living in the light of Jesus. I think in our country, we know a lot about the value of light. Am I right? Obviously, load shedding has been a big thing recently. And if you've been in a place where either the power has gone off or the power has come on, you know how valuable light is. I was in Winkelspreitz recently trying to get my driver's license renewed. What a great chore. And I'd been in the queue for 50 minutes when the power went off. And this hadn't been my first visit there. And I had a two-hour wait. And I stood there in the queue and I thought, two hours, and then two hours until they close. There's no way I'm going to get through this. And I left in the car and I was so frustrated and grumpy and angry about this whole thing. But what about the times when the power comes on? You've been in a public place, you've been in the office, you've been in a mall, you've been at church, whatever it is, and the power comes on. It's like as the hour changes, you hear like beeping and clicking as, I don't know, machines and technology start to come alive. Aircon, you hear the, like kind of the roar of stuff going on. And then the lights come on and there's like this collective sigh of relief. It's happening. You know, it's back. I think in these moments, we realize how dependent we are on light, you know, how dependent we are on power, how much we need this stuff. We're thinking, I can work again. I can use my computer. I can get online. I can enjoy light. My fridge is on. My food's not going to get ruined. Like, Whatever it is, all of these thoughts go through our mind because light is life. And I don't know if you've ever had like a situation with some friends where you've watched a sunrise and you've gone, I don't know, you've gotten up early or you've stayed up really late and it's super dark and you're like, ah, the sunrise will be here in 10 minutes and you wait and you wait and you wait and it's dark. And then you start to see like that light haze on the horizon, a little bit of color starts to pop up. And then depending on the sunrise, maybe you see like just a little dot of light as the sun starts to rise and then color starts to fill the sky. If it's a good one, you're just seeing all of these colors and people are getting out their cameras and their phones and taking pictures because it's so beautiful. Light is beautiful. And that's what Isaiah is trying to say to us about Jesus here. Jesus is our light. He's our light. We depend on him. We need him. And he's trying to say Jesus is beautiful. Jesus is worthy of our worship. He is the best thing. Jesus is the light of the world, shining into the gloom and darkness of the world in our lives. That's one of the reasons we hang up lights at Christmas time. One of the reasons we've got candles here today. It's not just decorative. I mean, it looks really beautiful. But actually, it's symbolic that Jesus is the light shining into the darkness of our world. And as I write, to us a child is born, but also a son is given. Because Jesus is a gift.
And some gifts that we receive are easy to receive. I'm sure if you do the Christmas list thing and you write down some of the things you want, when you get those presents, you are over the moon. Maybe this is one of those Christmases where you don't expect to get anything. If you get one of the things that you most desire, you'll be over the moon, you'll receive that thing easily. But some presents are harder to receive. Like think about if you are in debt, like you owe a bunch of money that you can't afford to pay back. And someone comes to you and says, I'll cover the debt for you. You know, this is something you've been thinking about a lot. It's been keeping you up at night. You've been praying about this. You've been saying, Lord, please, could you just like settle this debt for me? Help me out. When someone comes to you and says, I'll cover it, you're thrilled. But at the same time, you need to kind of humble yourself and say, okay, I'll receive this. Which means admitting I'm in need. You know, you've got something that I don't have. You can help me in a way I can't help myself. And to almost humble yourself and admit that need and say, okay, thank you so much. I'll receive that gift. Or maybe like a, a more obvious thing is if on Christmas morning you're opening presents and you get something that you need but something you don't really want to receive from someone else. Like if I'm opening presents on the 25th and Shell's bought me a beautiful book called How to Lose 10 KGs in 2020, I'll go, cool, Shell, thank you. I really, really appreciate that. Looking forward to using this book. Thank you. And then I open another present for my parents. It says, how to be more selfless in 2020. So cool, thank I really appreciate that gift. That's so kind of you. And those could be goals I've set for myself. You know, lose 10 kgs, become more selfless in the new year. But it kind of hurts when someone else gives that to you. It's like they're saying, I see it too. I see your need. I see your weakness. I'm going to help you with that. So responding to Jesus means admitting that we need a Savior. It means acknowledging that we have need, that we have sins that we need forgiven, that we need help, that we need someone to come into our life that we need change and we can't do it on our own. It means receiving that grace from him. And as we read this passage, it starts with darkness and distress. It starts hopelessly, and then the light shines. The baby comes into the picture. Jesus arrives, and things start to change. I guess I want to say to you today, how do you respond to this message? How do you respond to the Christmas message? Because there's two ways we can live. The first way is the way of verse 1 and 2 of Isaiah chapter 9. We can live in the story of distress and gloom and darkness. Say, this is our world. This is our country. This is our city. This is my life. It is what it is. And we stay in that place. Or we can respond to the message of Christmas. We can respond to the baby. As that light shines, as the baby comes into the picture, the baby who is coming again to make all things new and say, we need you. We want to receive the gift of you, Jesus, this Christmas. Would you come in with your life and your salvation and your hope and your peace and your joy and bring light into the dark places of my life? Would you stand with me and we'll just pray together and ask the band to come up. Jesus, we thank you for this time of year as a time to reflect and a time to take stock, and a time to think. And Jesus, I just thank you for who you are and what you've done. I thank you for coming into the world as a baby to bring light into this world. I thank you for dying on the cross for our sins, your light being snuffed out for a short time that we might enter into the light. And I thank you that you are coming back one day to make all things the way they're meant to be. Even now, I pray that your light would shine into the dark places of our hearts, 
and that you would bring us hope. I know every one of us in this room is in a different place today. I pray that you would come here now and meet us where we're at and help us to walk into all that you've got for us. In Jesus' name, amen.